Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. Welcome to Sawbones, marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. Um, some some uh, times I, I take a look at the notes you send over, and I kind of think, oh, that's interesting. And I'll have some thoughts about it, like, oh, I should work out some mm-hmm. fun jokes about that. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know what this word means. I don't know what this word means. You know what this is. Because you, you have a joke, and I was going to let you get it out of the way early in the oh in right the, in the podcast because oh, okay. I know I already know you use the long version mononucleosis. Uh huh. Not just mono. Not just mono. You That's know, it's the funny. Word. Funny story about mono. I once thought I had mono for an entire month, and turns out I was just really bored. There we go. There it is. I knew I wanted to give you space to make that joke like right away. It's a. Not do you so think you'll a, have to make it again? Like, it, do I need to? It's not so much a joke as it is a reenactment of Wayne's World. Yeah, a scene in Wayne's World, one of the vignettes from Wayne's World. It's not a. It's not ha ha funny. Like much of Mister Myers' work, <laughs> it's not ha ha funny. But in a vacuum, in in this specific context, I think it's very very funny. Now, how old? About how old were you when you first saw Wayne's World? Twelve. Okay, so. You say it's not ha-ha funny, but would 12-year-old Justin— Oh, I was busting up. Yeah, okay. No, no question about it. 12-year-old Justin would disagree. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about mono, Justin, because I was sick recently. You had mono? Well, I don't think the I had mono. disease? But I, I honestly, I, I entertained the thought. Okay. Because I felt so lousy. Did it turn out to be have mono? You, have you ever actually had mono? Not to my knowledge. Really? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, thought I thought that well, I had mono. Okay, no, for, no, no, stop. I I bet you if we tested you for the antibodies you have. That's kind of like really judgmental of you. Well, just statistically, the vast majority of adults have. Okay. Because it is it's contagious and for a lot of people you don't have symptoms, so you don't know that you came in contact with the virus. Okay. Um if you're like me, you did know. So uh, I I had mono. Here's my mono story. Okay. I was on spring break in college, my freshman year of college. Where did this you is very it? this is very this is like a '90s story. I was at the beach, totally MTV spring break. It was not MTV spring break, but I was at the beach for spring break. Okay. Um, with my um boyfriend at the time. Oh my. And some friends, and towards the end of the week, my throat was so sore. And I kept thinking, maybe this corona will fix it. <laughs> oh, no. No, it doesn't. 
doesn't. Doesn't no. fix it. No, but uh, I had such a sore throat, probably had a fever, but I can tell you none of us had thermometers. And um, I remember the drive back from the beach because I was just in so much pain, my throat. And then when we got back, I told, I was like in tears, told mom and dad, they took me to the urgent care and I got diagnosed with mono. Wow. And, and it like, sucked. No one else will ever suffer this way. I want to become a doctor. And I'll, I'll cure, cure mono. <laughs> cure mono. And this will no. never happen to anyone ever again. That wasn't it. But it's, and I was tired. Uh, a lot of people, when they get mono, get tired for quite a while. Mm-hmm. I, it was a rough, um, it was rough few weeks of, of college. It sounds rough. Yeah. But anyway, recently I had a sore throat again. I, talk, I think we talked about it on the show and some swollen lymph nodes and a fever. And then Riley did. Yes, I do remember that. Yeah, and clearly. and I started thinking like, gosh, it feels like it's it dragged on so long because when Riley told me, I was like, oh, I wonder if you have mono. Uh-huh. You've been kissing somebody because <laughs> you're a doctor. I'm also her older sister That's though, true, so I'm yeah. supposed to say that like, haha, were you kissing somebody? Yeah. That's what I'm like legally supposed to say. Right. Um, but then I thought like, well, heck, did I have mono again? Like, it's not likely, but did did mono reactivate? Did I come in contact with it? Like, mm-hmm. did I get mono again? So I couldn't believe we've never talked about the kissing disease as it is colloquially, colloquially, collo- I hate that word. Colloquially, colloquially. <laughs> it's, it's a tough word it's to tough say. One. Mono is caused by a herpes virus called the Epstein-Barr virus. Usually EBV is how it's, you know, shortened. Mm-hmm. Um, it's largely spread through saliva. So there you go, the kissing thing. Um, it has an incubation period of four to eight weeks, so it can be hard sometimes to know exactly, well, depending on how much kissing you're doing. Hey. When, when you were exposed. Um, and you can stay infectious for quite a while, like months. Oh, really? hmm Which is why I already said the vast majority of adults have had it, whether you know it or not, if you're, if you're a grown-up, and whether you feel like it or not, if you yeah. are legally a grown-up, uh, you probably have the antibodies to mono in your body. Like, we could find EBV, EBV antibodies in there. Um, I, I read old journal articles about uh, mono, mm-hmm. and when they talk about the mode of transmission, like back in the 50s, it's really fun. There was were, one. It was illegal to say kissing in the fifties, right? Well, no, like you couldn't print that. It was illegal. It's not just. It's just so. It, and maybe you know what? This doesn't change because, like, some of the journal articles from more recent years are similarly like. It's like a very buttoned up sciencey way of talking about making out, and they're like, it was like one article from the fifties said it is only spread by deep kissing. Ew. That's in a journal article. That's a worse way of saying a it. A scientist wrote that, deep kissing. Deep the episode kissing. of deep Ugh. kissing. There's one from 2015 where they call it intimate oral contact among teenagers and young adults. Bad. Intimate oral also contact. Bad. Um, there's another one, intimate oral contact of such a nature as to permit direct transfer of saliva. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> These are, like, people just wrote, like, they just say kissing. Just say kissing. Or Frenchin. Ranching? No. <laughs> or I, I believe our British friends would say snogging. Snogging? Now, I've always wondered that about snogging. Is snogging just like you kissed or is that like I think it's like making, whole, it, making out. It's a make out session. I think making out is snogging. Yeah. Okay. This is my understanding. I don't know. I'm. You know what? Do not email us. No, you can email us. Email Sydney. <laughs> we got so many emails about Asafoetida. Yeah. Yeah. Should I mention that? By the way, thank you. 
for the recipes. Thank you for sharing your experiences. I loved reading all those emails. And also, we did get some. Yeah, we got some. So we'll try it and soon. It, uh, but I, we can already attest to the fact that you do not have to warm it up to smell it. Yeah, it's right there. It's right you, there. For you to enjoy. As soon as we opened it. Yep. 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 I think it smells a little like wild onions. It would be like if a human onion had B.O. That like it's a pungent. A human onion? Like if an onion was a human that had B.O. Like onion from the it's cartoon? It's like onion, like intensity onion. It's like, what's up? I'm onion. I, it's it, like attacking you. It is. It is. It reminded me specifically though of like wild onions that grow out in the yard that yeah. we pull up. I always used to find those and pull those and smell them and I like that except that to a degree where it's like no too much too much too much I didn't hate it it's like kind of powerful it's like impactful I felt yeah. something yeah know? we At have not age, cooked that's, yet that's with all it, it takes. but um but I'm excited to try it. anyway it was thought that uh for a while that sex may increase the risk of transmission mm-hmm. but then they did a study that showed <laughs> here was their here was their conclusion deep kissing with or without coitus had the same risk of primary EBV infection throughout their undergraduate years. Deep kissing, I still can't quite Deep kissing that. with or without coitus. <laughs> That's what it says I'm looking for on my Tinder profile. I'm after deep kissing with or without coitus. <laughs> There's also things like uh, they spend a lot of time trying to figure out like, because they wanted to figure out this, it, there is this long incubation period, right? Mm-hmm. So- Part of when you're studying a virus and stu- or studying an illness and you're trying to figure out, like, how long is it between when you get it and when you show symptoms, that helps us figure out how it's transmitted and who gave it to who and whatnot. And the r not. You have to ask questions to figure out the time from kissing episode to onset of symptoms or time from an incident of intimate kissing. Deep kissing. <laughs> Did you have an incident of intimate kissing recently? These would have been the surveys. Can you imagine you're on your college campus – you're like walking from your dorm to class. It's early. Maybe you're a little hungover. You're like rushing so that you're not late for, mm. you know, whatever. Someone flags calculus. you down. And like some guy with a clipboard stops you and is like, excuse me, when when would you say was your last incident of intimate kissing? <laughs> Ooh, let me think. It's a tough one. And you're like, I'm not going to answer these questions. And then they're like, we'll give you a free T-shirt. Ooh. And you're like, oh, hey. And the, by the way, the T-shirt says deep kissing. On it. <laughs> what do you think? Um, now, for those that do develop symptoms, it there's a range, as I said. It can range from fatigue, um, swollen lymph nodes, fever, sore throat for a couple of, of weeks to months. It can go on for months that you feel really exhausted, really fatigued. Not just like the normal, you know, if you have a viral syndrome, if you get the flu or something like it, you know, you're tired. You sleep more. If you had COVID. Mm. Probably slept more. Um, but it can go on for a lot longer, intense fatigue, intense body aches. Um, one other thing that we specifically watch when patients have mono is that your spleen can get enlarged. Mm. And that doesn't, you probably wouldn't notice that. Um, so it's not like that's causing you a problem inherently. But but what it can lead to is that if you then are like involved in a contact sport or some sort of accident or I don't know, you get in a fight your spleen can rupture, mm-hmm. and that is a big deal because if your spleen starts bleeding and it doesn't stop, well, generally yeah, any bleeding, any that, doesn't bleeding stop, <laughs> that doesn't stop in the body from organs and stuff is all bad stuff. Is a bad thing. So, um, and and generally it's going to resolve on its own. Mm-hmm. Like the spleen, it's going to go back to its normal size all by itself. But for a while, you have to limit things like that. So because of the age group that can get this, teenagers and young adults, this is relevant because like, as an almost 40-year-old, I 
I don't engage in a lot of contact sports regularly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not a professional athlete, so right. why would I? But um, for younger people who are playing contact sports, who are in high school sports or college sports or, you know, that kind of thing, this could be a much bigger deal. Um, mm-hmm. Even even really heavy lifting can be discouraged, you know. Mm-hmm. So that is something that I remember them telling me that, like, don't play any contact sports. Okay. I was like, I'm a biology major. <laughs> so I am good on that front. <laughs> I am I've fine. self-selected for not getting head injuries. <laughs> They'd ask me in high school, I'm in show choir. Does that count? Yeah. <laughs> no, that's not true. I played soccer. That See, soccer, that would have been bad. Yeah. Um, there are rare serious complications. Um, that is true for a lot of viruses like this. But for most people who have had it, you were like really tired and you were achy for a while and you couldn't play a sport. Um, I told Riley when I thought it was possible she had it. Like She was like, well, do I need to know? And I said, well, honestly, right now there's not – a huge value in you knowing one way or the other, you know, but um, don't engage in contact sports and try not to get punched or kicked in the stomach. Yeah. And she said, Sydney, I live my entire life trying not to get punched or kicked in the stomach. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, that's fair. Um, the first description of mono going way, way back was written in 1887. That's how long we met about the syndrome, not the virus yet. We didn't, we didn't know about what caused it, but we knew there was something that we – that we would eventually call mono. Um, it was written by a Russian doctor who's who's also known as like the founder of Russian pediatrics, um, Neil Filatov. And he wrote about the condition after observing it in patients, and it was called Filatov's disease for a while before mm-hmm. it was called mono. He didn't call it that. Yeah, maybe he doesn't want a disease. Other people called it. He called it idiopathic adenitis. He should so, have known that wasn't going to catch on. Yeah, big lymph nodes, don't know why. Hmm. That's the, that's how I would interpret idiopathic adenitis. Big lymph nodes don't know why. Okay. <laughs> that's what that means. Okay, I got it. I was it. translating. No, I, it's not a different language, right? Medicine? I guess so. Yeah. Medicine is a different yeah, language. And that's part, of, that's part of what I do is I translate. Big lymph nodes don't know why. Yeah, that's what idiopathic means we don't know why. Yet. There's, that was just me. That was just me saying yet. Yeah. I don't know. I'm hopeful. Um other people named it after him. I don't know why I'm defending him. He, I mean, he, maybe he was arrogant. I don't know if he was arrogant or not. But, like, as far as I know, he just called it that, and then other people were like, Filatov's disease. Um, but that didn't stick. I think that's a mixed bag, man. I just – I don't know. I wouldn't want it. I don't need that to be my legacy. So everybody's like, ugh, I got Filatov's again. Ugh, <laughs> hate this. Hate that guy, whoever that guy is. I know he's long dead, but I have bad feelings towards him. <laughs> that sucks. I would love for something to be named after me. Yeah, I don't really care what it is okay, or why or, you know, I mean, well, the why is probably hopefully I had something to do with it in a positive way. Now, I don't want something named after me if it's like, <laughs> I don't know, I accidentally created it or something. Well, you don't want to fall. I don't, again, like you, there's a disease like it, like Lou Gehrig's, if you're because just a you fame, had it. if you're just a fame, that's a. That's not a. That's not great. Well, obviously, say. that is not what one would desire. Yes, yes. yes. Like uh, you don't want to be like such a notable occurrence of this that it is named after you either. I, I don't I think am, anybody wants that. I am talking from a scientific, like from the medical community. Perspective. Unless it's like J- McElroy's huge musculitis. Like if you have some sort of strength based illness that makes you too strong. I don't think there's any chance 
of a huge muscleitis ever being called McElroy's huge muscleitis. But it's a disease. I get it. Like it's from path- any of us. But it's pathogenic. <laughs> that would be the whole point is that it's pathogenic. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So you get it. It's a disease you get. It's not because you naturally have huge muscles. You catch McElroy's huge muscleitis. And then you do have huge muscles and it's contagious. I, I love that you think that if I name something after myself or if I get something named after me, it's going to be McElroy something. That was me. I was naming it's it It's going to be Sydney. Sydney? If it's first named name? McElroy something, they're going to think it has something to do with you. So it's going to have to be named Sydney. Bad news. Nobody Go- knows my maiden name. Well, guys, the research is done. I finally discovered it. Hepatitis <laughs> Doug. It's my own new brand. There's a at the, the university we both went to at Marshall – a lot of the buildings are named after people. The science building is just named the science building. Yeah. And that's been a goal of mine is that that's going to be the Sydney building. So your <laughs> a goal of yours is to donate tens of millions of dollars <laughs> to a university, right? Because like. What if I just do something so great that they name it after? We have I don't want to give it. them that much money. I just want them to name it the Sydney building. Well, yeah. you. Th- that's how it works. You do something so great that people give you tens of millions of dollars <laughs> and then you give that to the university. It's- that's how they honor you. Sydney building coming soon. Sydney building? Yeah. Okay. Sydney building. <laughs> <laughs> I like my first name. Uh, anyway, let I, we have, we have to get to the point that it is infectious mononucleosis caused by the Epstein Barr virus. We're about to get there, but first we got to go to the billing department. Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed. But we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat delicious meals right to your door. And not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got, like, fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? 
truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously, from 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 a, a box pre-prepared, all I got at two minutes, I'm eating filet mignon. That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, And the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Dear Reading Glasses, it's been years since I've been able to read. I missed it so much, but I had no idea where to start. I felt so overwhelmed. But thanks to your show, now I'm back to enjoying books again and feeling like a reader. Love, Sarah. Yeah, that's an email we actually answered. Okay, maybe not that email specifically, but one just like it, because most of our listeners are named Sarah. We're Reading Glasses, and we're here to solve all your reader problems. We give advice, help you find books you love, and discuss reading without making you feel pressured. No matter what you read or how you read it, we'll help you do it better. Reading Glasses, every week on Maximum Fun. Are elephants right-handed? What's the middlest size in the universe? What is the history of fan fiction? Let's find out together on our show, Let's Learn Everything, where we learn anything and everything interesting. My name's Caroline, and I studied biodiversity and conservation. My name's Tom, and I studied computer science and cognitive blah, 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 blah. Mm, Did you? <laughs> <laughs> and my name's Ella, and I studied stem cells and regenerative medicine. On our show, we do as much research as you would for a class, but we don't get in trouble for making each other laugh. And we get to say, fuck. <laughs> Maybe not in the trailer. Subscribe to Let's Learn Everything every other Thursday on Maximum Fun. Okay, I'm ready for this to, to transform. <laughs> so at this point, it's 1920. Uh, at the, Filatov's disease is the syndrome that is called mono. There were two other researchers in 1920 that observed this infectious disease that caused fever and these big lymph nodes and a big, really bad sore throat, and specifically that the looking on a blood film, so looking at uh, a smear of your blood under a microscope. Sometimes we do that, right? Like a lot of things, labs are automated. They just mm-hmm. put some blood in a machine and it counts the cells and counts different components of the blood and gives us a list of numbers, right? Um, sometimes we actually need a pathologist to look at the slide, Mm-hmm. Um, smear some blood on the slide in a certain way with certain stains and then look at it and tell us what's in there. Um, back then, of course, that's what you would have done. You mm-hmm. weren't using machines. So anyway, so they uh, they looked and they noticed that um, there were atypical lymphocytes. Lymphocytes are a certain part of your white blood cells, a certain type of white blood cells. Um, and they were large and the nucleus of them looked different. And so they called them atypical. Mm-hmm. So they saw a lot of these um, and these kinds of lymphocytes resembled another kind of white blood cell called a monocyte. Mm -hmm. So as a result, mononucleosis. Got it. Yes. What an origin story. Is is where the name. I was on the edge of my seat for that one. Mono comes from. So the two researchers, Sprunt and Evans, renamed it 
mononucleosis in 1920 because it's the same syndrome, but specifically if you look on a blood film, you see that. And um, this could be a diagnostic criteria, right? Because a lot of things can cause fever, a sore throat, some lymph nodes. Like a lot of things could cause these other symptoms. But then also if you look on, on a blood film and see this, now you have a diagnosis. I, I'm, I am glad they went with mononucleosis though because can you imagine if somebody's <laughs> like, don't kiss me, I've got sprunts. <laughs> sprunts would be a rough I've got sprunts. Don't kiss, keep your distance. I'm just riddled with sprunts. <laughs> <laughs> that is sprunts is rough. Sprunts is rough. I got the sprunts. Something fierce. Um, the virus. Changing the Epstein- shirts four times a day. These sprunts are so bad. <laughs> poor sprunt. Poor Don't sprunt. do this to poor sprunt. It's not, it's not sprunt's fault. I mean, I I can't. My maiden name is Smurl, and I don't know that it's yards better than sprunt. So we're in the same boat, buddy. Epstein-Barr virus was discovered, um, one of the researchers was Epstein, as you can imagine, in 1964 (laughs) using electron microscopy. So now we could, we had the technology um, at this point to look more closely, right? Like that's what a lot of, when we talk about sort of understanding microorganisms and infectious disease and contagions and everything as our ability to look at things that are smaller advanced. We can better microscopes. We can see better. Yeah, we can see smaller things. And so now first, you know, that's great. We can see that the cells are different. Well, those are larger. So you don't have to have an electron microscope to look at, you know, white blood cells. Mm -hmm. Um, But you do when you're looking at viruses. So we get to a point in 1964 where we can use an electron microscope and we can look at um, specifically in a kind of cancer, Burkitt's lymphoma is a specific kind of cancer, and they found this virus in mm-hmm. these cancer cells. Um, and it's interesting because the story, and this is not tied to mono yet. They haven't yet attached it to mono. They're mm-hmm. just discovering the virus that we would also understand causes mono. Um Epstein found this, but he, like a good scientist, thought that somebody else should repeat it okay. because then that's good. It needs it's to good. be, yes. you know, it has to be something that Gotta you can be repeatable. Repeat. Yeah. So he had reached out to other British virologists to look at it and nobody wanted to work with him. They mm-hmm. were like, no, nah, we're just not interested in this. This is not something that, I don't know, we want to spend time on. Maybe they had like disputes. I don't know what the issues were. So he was having trouble finding somebody to repeat these findings so that he could see if they were valid. Mm-hmm. Um, so he sent some of the cells to uh, Klaus Hummler in Philadelphia, um, who they had just had like a sabbatical together. Mm-hmm. So they were like buds. And he was like, hey, will hey. you look at these cells and see if you can also find this virus in these cells? And then we can say like, we both did independently and it's, you know, right. we know that this virus is connected to, to this type of cancer. Um now, the problem is Humler, and I don't know if this was because he was just on this sabbatical, but he had lost all of his funds, and so his laboratory had been completely dismantled. So he didn't have anything to look at it with. He was like, this is really cool, and I'm very good at this. I don't have a microscope, though, and nobody's that good. To see without a microscope. Yeah, nobody's that good. You can't see a virus without a microscope. So he took the cells to a different laboratory in Philadelphia, Henley's laboratory, um, and he was like, hey, would it be cool with you— if we like had a little collabo and you looked at these cells. One thing you bring to this, what I bring to it is that I'm very good at science and everything. What you bring to it is very cool. You have a microscope. It's like the one friend who had his own car <laughs> in high school, right? So you got to hang out with that guy. 
Gotta hang well, out with Dylan. He's got his own car. Well, but Henley brought more to the table because also he a scientist. Two microscopes. Well, wow. <laughs> also a scientist. Also can find it. It's interesting because you know, and we we've talked about a lot of different scientific discoveries where a lot of people are finding the sort of the same thing at the same time. And there's always an inherent competition between all of these people. Usually dudes, not always dudes, but a lot of dudes. There's usually an inherent competition because if you're the one that finds it. You get your name on it, yeah. Epstein, and so it it to go to someone else's lab and be like, I I am on the verge of a monumental discovery, and I need your lab equipment because I don't have any. Yeah, is a big deal, you know. Um, it shouldn't be right. All of science should be collaborative, but it's not. And mm-hmm. part of that is because you can make money off stuff, but that's not really in this case. Part of it's just because people want to. They want a legacy. They want to be famous. They want they want to be known for. The virus they saw. Yeah. <laughs> so they uh, they characterize this new. It was in the herpes virus uh, category, and they find this new fan, this new virus, the Epstein Barr virus. At this point, so they know. By the way, and that's another thing about this. This is really focused on mono, uh, the illness, but Epstein Barr virus can also cause this lymphoma, this specific okay. kind of cancer. So it, it is a virus that can do different things. Um, now, what's really interesting is that there was a uh, technologist who was working in Henley's laboratory. So this is kind of like serendipity, right? Like Epstein couldn't find anybody to confirm these findings in England. He had to send them all the way to Philadelphia to a guy whose lab was dismantled, who had to then take it to another guy's lab and ask, can you help me? And there's a tech working in that lab who um, regularly... Uh, they were they started doing these experiments with Epstein Barr virus, and who didn't have any antibodies. They looked in a lot of people's blood to see do they have antibodies against this new virus we found. And as I said, a lot of people had them, right? Because they're adults, and a lot of adults have been exposed. Well, this tech was unique in that they did not have any antibodies against Epstein Barr virus, right? So that they could donate some lymphocytes to do experiments with which is something I, we don't really do much in labs today. Like, ask our lab techs also, can we take blood from you and use your blood cells in the experiments that we're doing and that you're helping us with? We don't do that as often these days. But back then, that would have been more, I guess, more standard. Um, but it was interesting because, so one, she could donate that she didn't have these antibodies they knew. And two, the cells would only grow for so long in culture, and then they would die. They didn't continue to grow forever. Um, which is not strange. Uh, However, in August of 1967, she missed work because she was sick. So she ended up missing five days of work. Initially, her doctor thought she had rubella, which is sometimes called German measles, and we've done a show on that before. Um, But he also considered, you know, there's this thing called mono. Whoa. And you might have that thing called mono. So they checked her for rubella antibodies. Okay. She didn't have them. Good. Um, and so then they checked her for a different kind of antibody. There's a specific antibody called a heterophile antibody, which the important thing to know about it is that it's closely related to infection with mono. It's the thing that they were looking for. Like if you had a mono test, they're looking for this specific kind of antibody to see is it possible you've had mono. So, and and the laboratory that she was helping work in is what established this as the test. So anyway. Wow. So they do the test, and it's positive. She has the antibody now. Great. No one kissed. And also, 
when they took some of her lymphocytes and tried to grow them in culture, they just kept growing continuously, which was interesting. And they were positive for Epstein-Barr virus antigens. Mm. So here now we have somebody who has the syndrome of mono, who we know for a fact didn't have this antibody before because mm. we have because she was donating cells, and now moving forward does have this antibody. Wow. It's just a very lucky coincidental thing that sort of proved like mono is caused by this virus that we have this antibody against and there's the antibody that you can test for and there's the antigens that prove the virus is there and there's the syndrome of the fever and the sore throat and all the stuff you know yeah so and so this was a a huge yeah it's a it's a huge lucky break that shows that epstein-var virus was responsible for this you know very common infection Mm -hmm. called mononucleosis um, they did other, obviously they, they wanted to replicate that as well. Can you help me understand something very quickly? The distinction between a virus and an infection. So like how does Epstein-Barr virus cause mononuclear? Like what's the difference? Well, so you've got to think about the fact that, um, you can get exposed to a virus. So like the virus gets into your system, okay. right? However, through saliva or blood or whatever it is. And your body mounts in a, a response, right? Like we've talked about how the immune system works. Something's going to detect an invader and take it and try to check it out and see what it is and see like, do we already have attack? Do we have antibodies against this already? Do we have a way to attack this? Whatever. And your body is going to mount a, a, an immune response to remove that invader. Sometimes that happens so quickly that you get exposed to something. You create these antibodies against it, right? Mm-hmm. But you never actually get sick. Versus it establishing an infection where you get symptoms, you become ill, you're probably contagious. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the symptoms usually have a name like the, vir- like the viral syndrome, the, vi- the disease, the illness that is caused by the virus. Think about right now, COVID-19 is the disease, the illness, the sickness that is caused by a novel coronavirus. The okay. virus itself is is different from the disease COVID-19. Okay. That makes sense. Yes. And so the reason that's really important, especially looking back from a historical perspective, we had to have pretty regimented ways of saying conclusively, okay, well, I I examined you and did studies on you and can diagnose you with this disease process, but what is causing it? It was harder, right? Because we couldn't look at viruses. Once we had the ability to find viruses, then I then I needed a really regimented way to say, okay, you have this. Let's figure out what it's caused by by looking in your blood, seeing what we can find, and comparing it to other people who have the same syndrome and what's mm. in their blood. Hmm. And then we can conclusively say that constellation of symptoms, that collection of illness is caused by this. Okay. That makes sense. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So that's what they had to do next, right? Because they, they found it in this one lab tech, but that doesn't mean it's conclusive. You know, it could be a coincidence. We've talked about the the guy who thought syphilis and gonorrhea were the same right. thing. Because people come at the same time a lot. Yes, and because he accidentally infected himself with both. It's <laughs> that medical science back like a hundred years. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, so they they had a bunch of uh, serum from six students already at this lab. So they had a lot of pre and post illness samples, mm-hmm. um, and so they started looking for the virus, for the antibodies, putting it together with, like, descriptions of the sim- the symptoms that the students have. And at the end, they were like, we figured it out. Done. Epstein-Barr virus 
causes infectious mononucleosis, and you can do a heterophile antibody test, look for this antibody, and that tells us that you have it. Boom. Um, and that that is how we pieced it all together back in the 60s. Um, there still are, uh, we still use antibody testing, st- specific serology to look for patterns to tell you. It's not as simple as one test per se. If you get a, if you ever get a test for mono, they're, they're going to usually do this Epstein-Barr virus panel mm-hmm. of antibodies. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's several things we're looking at to see, do you have it now or did you have it in the past? Okay. Um, and that pattern of antibodies helps us know, like, is this because so many people have been exposed to it that just testing you to see, do you have the antibody? Well, I mean, Doesn't I do. tell you very much, right? Yeah, you probably do. So we need a, a certain pattern to tell us, are, are you acutely ill with it or did you just have it and you got something else now? Um, the treatment for it is pretty much supportive. It's a viral syndrome. It'll go away on its own. You just got to get you through it. Stay yeah. away from kissing. Yeah, you are contagious, so yes, stay away from kissing or or anything that would share saliva. So like, you know, I don't know, food and drink, depending on what you're doing, I guess. What do you mean? What it's like you're full doing? of backwash. Ew, gross. I don't know. That's we, the worst we've talked about like deep kissing and intimate oral contact. Yeah, so. there's a lot of unpleasant sounds in this episode. Are we almost done? <laughs> it's a virus that'll run its course. Fluids, rest, uh, avoid anything that's going to rupture your spleen. <laughs> Again good rule for life um yeah and then of course treatment for the sore throat because the sore throat can be i i will say um having had it when i was younger it was it was really bad i mean i could still swallow but it hurt i could only hold down liquids it, it's rough so treatment for that um one interesting thing is that because the sore throat is such a big feature it is often misdiagnosed as strep strep yes ah yes and if people don't which we often won't do like a test for strep. We'll just look at you and based on a set of clinical criteria, say, yeah, we think you have strep throat. Here's some amoxicillin. If you do that, there's a characteristic rash that you'll get if you accidentally mistreat mono with amoxicillin. Your delight at that fact was adorable. Uh, well, I think <laughs> it's if you are in medical school, you will probably get asked this question at some point. You will have a patient that you will think has strep throat in the question. In the question, they will say you treated them with amoxicillin, and then they came back a few days later, and they're covered in a red spotty rash, and they said, I think I'm allergic to the amoxicillin. And what you're supposed to know, it was it mono. was probably mono all along. I screwed, or maybe you're allergic I to screwed up. But I'm a doofus. I'm a bad doctor. I missed it. <clears throat> well, no. It's just I was a, so careful, Sydney. How could this happen? <laughs> Um, so anyway, that's, that's the, that's mono. I don't know. You're supposed to, so most people only ever get it once in their life, but the virus, I mean, it can live with you forever in your B lymphocytes. And so it is possible for it to reactivate. It is possible to come in contact and get like some mild symptoms again. It is the, all these things are possible. Anything's possible. It's not the most common. So I don't know. I do wonder, I still have a sore throat. Who knows? It's been over a month. Um, and then I just, for completeness, there are a lot of other things associated with Epstein-Barr virus, as I mentioned, including things like chronic fatigue syndrome, which you kind of get into when you start talking about um, mono reactivating and stuff like that. But that's a whole other issue, and that's much. it would take us a whole other episode to cover all that. And we don't have a whole other episode because this is the end of this one. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks to the taxpayers for the use of their song. 
Medicines is the intro and outro of our program. Thanks to Max Fun for having us as part of their extended podcasting family. And thanks to you for uh, for for listening. We we really appreciate it. That's going to do it for us for this week. Until next time, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. Fund.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.